0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of 1 Samuel, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, life can be hard sometimes. You ever feel that way? Or yeah, you take it look at your life. All the things that have happened or the things that are happening and you go, is this really it? Is this what my life has become? Is this who I am? Is this what I am? And in those moments, do you look around at the lives of others and you begin to compare yourself to them? And you're like, well, this person is always traveling, always taking trips, always going to these exotic places, and I want to travel, and I want to take trips but I don't have any money. Or this person has a spouse and kids, and, and I want to have a spouse and kids. When's it going to be my turn? Or why did I have so many kids? You want to take one? <laughs> Or why do I always struggle with sin? Why is it always so hard to overcome temptation? And why is it always the same sin? Last week, we talked a little bit about the church and how the church can be described as a a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. But certainly, there are times when it feels like a museum. How many of you like museums? That's right, not very many of you. Sometimes, it's the same with the church. Sometimes it feels like not very many people like the church. What else do we know about museums? They're quiet. There's not very many people visiting all the time. You're not really supposed to touch anything. But then sometimes they'll have a group from school visit with kids and it's really loud and distracting and they touch everything. And then there are those people who are at the museum and they just want the peace and quiet. But these kids don't make it possible, and so sometimes they give these children some not-so-nice looks. Or they even tell them to be quiet. Sometimes churches have this idea that you come and sit and be quiet and do not touch anything and except the pew that you're sitting in. And please do not grab or touch that Bible that is in front of you. Don't open it up either. Just leave it there. It's just a decoration. And then sometimes there's a whole bunch of kids here all at once. And they're really loud and they just touch everything. And they play with toys in the back. And when they play with toys in the pews, you might know that it's not very quiet. And it's distracting for the people that are here who... They just want to sit and they want to listen in peace and quiet. And so sometimes they even give the kids and their parents some not-so-nice looks. Or they even tell them to be quiet. Churches can be hard sometimes. And sometimes we take a look at other churches and we're like, oh man, they're doing all of these cool things and they have all this cool music and fun programs and well, I want to be doing cool things with cool music and fun programs. Or that church never struggles to get volunteers. I wish we didn't struggle to get volunteers. Or that church seems like the place to be and it seems like no one wants to be here. Why doesn't anyone wanna be here? Or that church's pastor is super cool and hip. I wish I had a pastor that was super cool and hip. Let me let you in on a little secret. When we compare ourselves to others, when we compare our church to other churches, it's always going to be easier to see the negatives, than it is to see the positives. And we don't have to look any farther than the people of Israel in the Old Testament reading for today to see that. Remember this. Israel has this cycle. They sin. They stop following God. They disobey Him and His ways. And then they face a judgment for their sins. And usually this means that they get conquered by another nation. And then after a certain amount of time, sometimes it's a few years, sometimes it's a whole lot of years, they cry out to God. They repent of their ways. And then God delivers them. He sends leaders like Moses, to go and deliver his people, set his people free. He sent judges like Gideon and Ehud and Samson. Time and time again, God rescues, God saves his people. And eventually their response is to sin again and disobey God and his commands again and to reject God and to walk away from him. And we saw last week that Samuel was one who judged Israel all of his days. And he made his sons judges, but they did not follow in his ways. They did not walk in the ways of the Lord. And so the elders of Israel, they came to Samuel and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Samuel is likely hurt by this. He feels rejected. And so he prays to the Lord, and God says to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God tells Samuel, Don't worry, it's not you. It's me. They haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. The sin of the people wasn't the fact that they asked for a king. The sin was that they rejected the king they already had. The one who sits enthroned on high. Their sin was wanting to trust in the human rule and the human government rather than trusting in God alone. They had forgotten so easily everything that God had done for them, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery, bringing them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, giving them victory upon victory, giving them everything that they needed in life. How soon they forgot They've taken all of the gifts that God has given to them as their true king, and they're saying, it's not good enough. Why? Because they saw what all the other nations had, a physical king, and they wanted that. And after talking with the Lord, Samuel goes back to the people, and he warns them of what a king actually means for them. The king, he's going to take their sons and their daughters and he's going to use them for service to him. The men for his army, the men to work in his field, the men to build his military equipment, and the women to work in the kitchen. All that the land that they have, that they own, that they use to farm for crops, that they grow, he's going to take a portion of it. And he's going to give the best of it to those who are his servants. On top of the tithe that the people gave to the Lord, the king is going to take a tithe for himself and for his officers. The servants that the people have working for them, well, he's going to take them, and he's going to make them work for him. In the end, Samuel says, you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, Whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God tells Samuel to warn the people of Israel that in the end, their king will make their life difficult. So difficult that they're going to come back to the Lord, crying to him, and he's not going to hear them because they've rejected him. And so they're getting exactly what they wanted. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. God gives them the warning that they're going to come crawling back to God because they don't like the decision that they made by having a king rule over them because they've rejected their true king. And they're like, No, we won't. The people didn't even see all the things that Samuel had done for them. They just saw him as old. They saw his sons as worthless, which, I mean, to be honest, they were. And they didn't even see God. The people only saw the positives in this king. Someone to fight their battles. Someone to make them like every other nation the people of Israel were the people of God. They were set apart by God, chosen by him. But they didn't want to be set apart. They wanted to be like everyone else. And so God would give that to them. And eventually they'd realize it was a mistake. But by then it would be too late. So... They go out to find the king for the people, and it's Saul who is chosen. God tells Samuel who he will see, and, and when he, he sees him, he'll know that he is going to be the king of Israel, and he's going to anoint him as such. And then when Saul is presented as the king before the people of Israel, all of the people shout, Long live the king! They had heard the words. They had heard the warnings of Samuel, but it fell on deaf ears as the excitement of a king consumes them. Sometimes words fall on deaf ears. Samuel warns the Israelites about what a king means for them. They say it won't happen. Spoiler alert it does. God uses people to share his messages. That's what prophets do. And every prophecy that God has ever given has come true. No matter what the people who are prophesied against say. Just like Peter, in the reading from the gospel, said that he won't fall away from Christ even if everyone else does. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, Before the rooster crows, you won't just deny me or reject me once. You won't do it twice. You're going to do it three times. And Peter, like the Israelites to Samuel, says, No, I won't. And then he says, even if I must die, I won't deny. What does Peter do? He denies, rejects knowing Jesus three times. How many times do we take that stance? I'll never reject God, I'll be faithful to him, I won't deny him in front of others. I'm going to speak out my faith and tell everyone about him. And then when the opportunity presents itself, we get quiet. How many times in our lives can we look and see what God has done for us? How many times can we look and see blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and yet we still turn away from him? We still reject him. How soon we forget. How we forget his words to us. Even though the people of Israel were rejecting God and asking for a king, even though the people of God did not see all that God had done for them by providing them deliverer after deliverer after judge after leader as coming from him, And even though they did not turn to God for their request, God will give them what they request. But he will warn them. And the next time they cry out to him for deliverance, eventually, eventually, he will deliver them. Even though they don't deserve it. Because they have rejected God. And what's rejection of God really? It's sin. And we're the same. We reject God. We break the first commandment by making ourselves God. By making ourselves deliverer and judge and leader of our own lives. By putting our faith and hope and trust in someone or something else. And what we deserve for our sin, when we realize what we've done, and we cry out because of the king whom we have chosen for ourselves, which is ourselves because we've made ourselves king and lord and try to be like God, we deserve to have the Lord not answer us in that day. Even though in our sin we do not see all that God has done for us, he will deliver us we deserve death for our sin and yes one day we will all face physical death we deserve eternal death hell for our sin absolutely but this is where jesus is going to come and be our deliverer and give us what we don't deserve jesus is going to come and he's going to be received by the wise men as the one who was born king of the Jews. But Jesus is going to be rejected by the Jews as the king of the Jews. That's what's put above his head by Pilate on the cross. Jesus, king of the Jews. And Jesus is the one true king the sinless deliverer, the perfect savior. But in order to save, he has to die. In order to deliver, he has to be rejected and he has to suffer. And that's what he does for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine. But the place where the one true king belongs is not in a tomb. His place is on the throne. And so he rises from the dead in glory as the Almighty, as the conquering one who defeated sin, who defeated the devil, defeated death and overcame hell for us, for you and for me. Not because we deserved it, but because it was the only way to save us. That's how much he loves us that he was willing to die for us, to give up his life for us. And he ascends to heaven to take his rightful place as king. But he does not leave us. And we need to remember that he is always with us because life is hard sometimes. Church is hard sometimes. But Christ makes it easier because he comes to us time and time again. He comes to his church, the body of Christ, which is full of all different parts of the body, parts that all have a place in his body, and parts that he is going to use for his will, for his glory. Parts like noisy children in the back pews. God uses them. Parts like quiet people who sit up front. God uses them. Because who is the church for? The church is for all people the noisy, the quiet, the young, the old those who are ready to hear the word of God and those whose ears are deaf to the word of God. Because the church is where the spirit works, where Jesus comes to us to give us again what we don't deserve. He comes to us in his word, where he speaks to us, where he comes to us in the words of absolution, giving us his forgiveness for all of the times that we reject him. He comes to us in the waters of baptism and claims us as his own beloved children. He comes to us in the bread and wine with his body and blood for our forgiveness, to strengthen our faith, faith that often trusts in other things and other people instead of him, Faith that is often weak and wants to have deaf ears to his word. He comes to us in his supper for our salvation, to give us eternal life, to give us heaven. Eternal life, which he won for you with his body on the cross, giving it for us on our behalf. Eternal life, which is where we find the assurance of eternal life in his body and blood, in his supper. Eternal life that is guaranteed through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, who creates faith in us, and who works in us to keep us faithful, to keep us from rejecting him. And so here in Christ's church, God uses his word, he uses his sacraments, and he uses his people to give us what we don't deserve so that through his power all people will acknowledge and believe that Jesus is the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. To him be all all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our one true King. Amen.